Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone who has a morbid fascination in how the story sausage is made. We have three central planks to our writing manifesto on this show. One, to help you write more. Two, to help you write better. And three, to help you be happier as you do both of the former things. And this, this episode that you are listening to right now is going to be a writing ramble, so that means it's an unedited episode, unscripted, where I just talk about whatever happens to be on my mind at the moment. Now, will you please excuse me? At the beginning, I'm going to open with an apology. I am uh, coming down with some kind of fever or or shaking one off, or I have something going on in my head that um, the last couple of days that's made me feel uh, sort of like at a functioning level, but slightly crusty. So if um, I start just breaking off of coherent syntax into a kind of garbled pigeon, then it is, I, I, I'm, I'm, I cry and plead uh, illness and uh, personal malady on that front. Uh, I, I know I have a tendency to not complete sentences, to open parentheses and not close them. So it will be more or less business as usual for you, but um, perhaps more so. Perhaps it's going to be like Tim Squared, this episode, especially since it's unscripted and unedited. But if you haven't listened to the show before, this is probably not a good one to start with. These episodes are kind of more like bonus episodes. They're just me chatting. And I love doing them. And I feel like they're an important part of the show. And lots of people have, have, have you have said you enjoy them. But um, they kind of rely on... <laughs> they kind of operate on a slight uh, cushion of trust and goodwill. So perhaps it's a good way to start the show is to go to one of the uh, first page episodes and... Um, look at some of the feedback that I've done, uh, looking at a listener's first page, or listen to one of the interviews that I've done. Those are a good place to start. Uh, this is more, uh, this is a bit more hardcore. This is a bit of a TC, Death of a Thousand Cuts, deep cut. I talk about something. So I just wanted to catch up, basically. And then I might do a tiny little bit of talk about, uh, I know that this week is... Uh, uh, I think it's Mental Health Awareness Week. And I talk about mental health on the show all the time. Uh, but I think it might just be worth doing a little something on kind of like mental health awareness or mental health hygiene. I want to say like mental health hygiene, which sounds slightly perhaps prissy and... Uh, maybe judgmental and weird to say but it's just about good practice when it comes to creative writing because I'm not talking about necessarily chronic mental health problems like severe depression or anxiety I'd like to talk with some of the more minor manifestations which I think are kind of just important are just as important really some good practices you can do to help you feel happy and motivated while you're writing some small things that I think anyone who writes, can keep in mind that can contribute to you having a good time, feeling motivated, getting words on the page, being able to hold yourself to account and, and hold your work to a high standard while also feeling all right about yourself and having the motivation every time you sit down to write a bit more and to keep going. 
in what can be a very unpredictable business, what can have all sorts of small and large emotional impacts. I think it's just worth my talking about it, especially, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist or a scientist, although I talk to lots of those people. Uh, And I'm just one author, but I am an enthusiastic end user of the human brain. And I have given my life to writing. So I think based on my own experience and then through some things that I've abstracted from my talks with other authors um, and from aforementioned uh, psychologists and such like, I hope that I can give you some just actionable stuff that you can just, whether you know, you're finding things difficult or whether you're finding things pretty good, but you just want to put some robust stuff in place to keep that role going and to make it as fun for you as possible and to make sure you maximise your time. You know, like simple things like making sure when, you know, to, to getting these practices in place, this kind of good mental health hygiene, getting in these things in place. So when you sit down to write, if you've only got an hour a week, you know, the, the idea that this is only something for like, quote unquote, serious writers or professionals or people who write full time is nonsense. You know, it's, if anything, it's more important if you've only got an hour a week to write, if that's all you've got, um, it's important you make the most of that time, right? That you're not putting it off and that when you sit down, you're able to utilise it. And I think just as human beings, right, it's important that we can find ways to make our stay on this earth as rewarding and pleasurable and nice as possible. So if there's anything I can do towards that then I'd like to Um, but before I kind of get into all that um just gonna say thanks for listening to the show I just wanted to catch you up with my book's been out uh, a couple of weeks now this is we're talking about the ice house which is my second novel my fourth book because I've had we can't all be astronauts came out in 2009 that's my non-fiction memoir stroke autobiography and then in 2011 I had my poetry collection uh which is called pub stuntman that came out then 2015 was the honors and now i've had the ice house out which is the follow-up to the honors uh it's been a really interesting time i i I use that ambiguous word sort of advisedly because there's been some real highs and then there's been some there's not been equivalent lows but it's just a scary time in ways i'm not particularly proud of because you know i there's more important things going on in the world and I've got my family and my daughter and I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky. So to have any complaints at all seems rather churlish uh, and I'm aware of that. But to start with the positives, you know, we, d- we did the launch in London, me and uh, Joe Dunthorne and people came out for it and uh, it was just, I'm still blown away with meeting people who listen to this podcast. It was just an incredible experience for me. It was really wonderful and it was so inspiring. And I'm so psyched that there are people out there who listen to this podcast who write. I'm so psyched to think of all the books that you guys are writing, all the stories, all the words you're getting down. You know, I like, I sort of more and more take this kind of collectivist approach to writing where I feel like every time one of us turns up to the laptop, to the notebook, to the notes app in your mobile phone or to the back of the receipt with like a biro uh every time i one of us writes down i have this i imagine you know metaphorically i'm not saying that there's a literal sort of spiritual force behind it 
But I like to imagine that it helps me that each time some one of us does that, we are paying into a communal account that we're helping every writer who's out there. You know, I've talked about before how Buddhist monks believe of the Mahayanan tradition, although if um, I'm mistaken there, then I apologise, uh, dedicate the merit of their meditation on the basis... Well, one, there's like, you know, some accounting to do with karma where it's worth even more if you give the merit to someone else. Um, but also this idea that you're not doing it for yourself. You are... You want to see all sentient beings enlightened and free from suffering. And I think that's a a helpful thing as a writer, you know, to to want to reach out and imagine when you sit down you're not just doing it for your own career and for the sake of you because if you're anything like me you'll have times when you don't really value yourself very much and um, when you don't believe that what you're going to do is going to be worth it I feel like when you see yourself as part of the human project when you see yourself as part of this great collective force of all of us telling stories and telling stories back to one another and, and this part that we're not separate that there's not me working on my writing career and you listening or you sitting down to do your writing and me I wouldn't be listening would I because we're not doing podcasts at each other this isn't a phone conversation but you know you doing your writing and then sending me an email or something or you know, here's the published writer here and here's the amateur aspiring writer there. I know, like, some of some of those people are getting paid and some of them aren't, and I'm not trying to flatten down the, like, economic differences between people in this equation. But I do think, I do feel very strongly that every time one person writes, they are, whether they consciously dedicate the merit of that writing session or not, they are writing for the whole and we are writing for the all and and the more we write on just a purely practical level the more one person turns up and writes and practices and works on that skill and sharpens that blade you know that is they then go back into the world a more experienced writer and the sort of median standard of writing and stories in the world goes up that a tiny bit and so every time one of us pays into that pot, I feel like humanity is enriched. I might sound like I've completely lost my mind here, but those are things that I sincerely believe. I sincerely believe that. And I'm willing to change my beliefs if I, uh, you know, on on the, the rising of new evidence. But I feel like partially it's a, I, I'm, it, there's no disprovability there, right? There's not a hypothesis that I could find facts that would disprove it for me. I feel like it's one of those things that sort of doesn't matter. It's 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 a, a helpful explanatory style for me to feel like we are doing this communally, that there's a collectivist element to it, because it makes any time we turn up a meaningful event, which a lot of the time if you're working on a novel or, or just, you know, learning your craft, that individual turning up at the desk just doesn't feel like on its own uh, a meaningful event when I talked to Dr Tim Pitchell about 
I know I refer to this a lot now, but this episode on procrastination, he referred to procrastinators as having a um, using a intransitive pre- preference style. So you think I don't want to do that today? I'll probably feel like doing it more tomorrow. Uh, and then it gets to say Tuesday, and you go, oh, I don't want to do it today. I'll do it. On, I'll probably feel more like it. I'll be more prepared on Wednesday. Then it gets to Wednesday, and you go, oh, I don't, I don't really feel like it. I'll, I'll probably feel more like it on Thursday. And then you get to Thursday and you go, do you know what? I'm actually a bit tired now. Wednesday would have probably been the better day to do it. And it's a kind of jam yesterday and jam tomorrow, but never jam today idea where you are always imagining a different time as being finally the time that it's worthwhile striking. And I think the same happens when we think about you know when when we want to start approaching the desk right that you know I'm feeling a bit ill now I don't feel like going to the desk and writing because I imagine that when I'm better I want to write when I'm less hungry I want to write when I've got less things on in my future you know I'm going to be driving down to Bath tomorrow I imagine that these things are going to happen and then I'm going to be in a better place for writing and actually the way you get to be in a good place for writing is to write which sounds a bit pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and can sound circular and can sound when other people have said that to me before it's made me feel guilty as a writer it's made me feel shitty uh, like because it's like going you can't write all you got to do is write like that's dumb advice right that's useless that's the very definition of useless advice and it sounds smug and it sounds like uh, advice given by someone who doesn't have the problem. And it's something that I think particularly resonates with, with me because of having anxiety and depression. It feels like someone doesn't understand. It's like, why are you lying around? You'll feel better if you go outside. Yeah, but I can't go outside because I feel so depressed. Or I can't go outside because I feel so anxious. If you went outside, you'd realise there's nothing to worry about. But I'm scared of going outside. It's hard, right? It's, I'm not suggesting it's not hard. Nonetheless, and this is why we're, we're looking just to find a, a choke point. This is why we're looking for a sort of a foot, a toehold, uh, somewhere that you can stick that lever in and apply pressure on it and it'll be this Archimedean point of leverage that lets you lift much more than you ever thought you could genuinely i just think if you can do three minutes of writing if this is where like the free writing that i advocate so endlessly can become really important and i want you to have this boost right i want you to be able to listen to this now why why shouldn't i talk you up but I also want to give you practical things as well because I could I could just give you a sort of I could I could psych you up I could give you a pep talk that'd be good right I think you'd go away feeling psyched but unless you then follow that up with a couple of practical things that actually get some words on the page it's going to fade and you'll feel like the moment's lost and actually you'll be slightly lower than where you were before because you'll think well I had that that I felt for a moment I could do it but I didn't do it Therefore, it was a false dawn and you'll be more sceptical of things in the future. So I will give you a little bit of pep talk in a sec because I genuinely think there's some good things coming for you, right? And I feel this 
something's building and I, I feel it coming and I feel it coming for you. I know we're going to have some, I know we can, I'm so sick of this bullshit, this the prevalence of this idea that writing has to be a struggle and that procrastination is endemic to it and that all writers are doomed to that and, and as you write more novels it only gets harder. It feels to me like it, that is not, backed up by the science that is not it just it just doesn't pass the smell test we're not actually looking for ways to get past that and I've seen now and the reason I'm so I'm so evangelical about it is because I get the letters I speak to the people you know I've met the people now who've like done my couch to 80k course who've tried some different things or maybe have just done a couple of exercises and have gone oh shit no I can do more and yeah, you know, you have ups and downs and life is managed. It's not cured. You're going to, you know, you'll have times when that mental health hygiene is better or worse. And so sometimes you'll be writing and it'll be going really well. Sometimes it won't be. And like often you can then locate that in a series of practice, practices and habits. And I know, you know, as I say this, you you know that there are good habits you can put into place and good practices and, and, and the difficulty in implementing them is part of the problem. And we're going to get to that in a sec. But I just want to say like there is you having a daily writing practice or a weekly writing practice or a monthly writing practice that serves you that puts you on a path to writing the stories you want to write in a way that you feel honours the quality of the ideas that you've had, that values your voice. I can't guarantee anything about the publishing industry, about the people populating it being um, dolts and rubes and ingrates and philistines. I can't promise you that the there's going to be a... Uh, industry of arts journalism and readers who will give you a career that you're that you're going to be able to make loads of money out of I can't promise you you're going to win awards all of those things are external and some of that may come to you and some of it may not uh, and there are disparities within the industry there are unfairnesses and I don't just dismiss them as being I'm not trying to minimize them but I think, especially on the kind of progressive left, which I'm, you know, in case you haven't realised over all these episodes, I sort of consider myself part of. But there's a real, um, there's a real scepticism around sort of self-determination and self-improvement. I, I think often because it's associated with this idea that we all start from an equal on equal footing and your destiny is in your hands and there's no social inequities to be addressed there's no unfairnesses there's no invisible barriers to people and it's kind of come on you need to keep going and march down this road I want to say like as someone who suffered from severe and chronic mental health issues I know that there are things for me that are much harder for me than for other people uh and there are things that are talked about in this kind of like boosterish self-help world that just are not easy for me to do. And there's ways that, you know, supposedly motivational speakers have tried to motivate me that feel like they're just shaming me uh, for 
being poorly sometimes. So I'm not going down that road. But I think sort of taking that logic too far, you can end there, there can be quite several babies in that murky bathwater. And I would hate to be advocating anything while sort of acknowledging structural inequities. I would hate to be adopting lock, stock and barrel, a philosophy that did that made you feel disempowered, that made you feel like you didn't have personal agency, some personal agency, that made people listening feel like there was no no point in bothering. If one presents those inequities as, as just insoluble and the entire, you know, and the whole taco, then the issue is then you just disempower a load of dis- already disenfranchised people to not bother, which doesn't seem to me to be what anyone wants, right? Except for a, one or two mean people in positions of entrenched power. So I want to talk about these things in a balanced way that acknowledges different places we may be starting, that acknowledges some genuine unfairnesses in the system, but at the same time says, look, here's what you can work on now. I know self-help and self-care can feel futile in the face of climate change in a world that seems to be like burning down around our ears in the face of, you know, political turmoil and the rise of the far right and regressive laws being enacted. And oh my goodness, like if you keep... You know, you look at the news and you just feel completely out of control. But then I think we can all think of figures, you know, either in the news or in our own lives who've had the power to make, who've made, who've leveraged disproportionately large results from their actions and didn't always know that those actions were going to make a difference. And I think you can make differences on a global scale and on a personal scale and I think any effort again we're coming back to that this collectivist idea any effort that you make is paying into a communal pot any work of self-care that you make for yourself is paying into the communal pot of humanity being mean to yourself denying yourself things being cruel to yourself being judgmental and harsh to yourself is not a moral good it doesn't make the world a better place self-denial guilt these things shame these things do not they're not like moral seat belts they're, they're not the same as having an ethical framework they're things that will just tie you out and they will rob you of the strength and the motivation to do good in the world whether that good is being kind to people you see when you walk down the streets you know, I'm really working on this at the moment when I'm, you know, driving around today and yesterday with a headache. It was harder for me, hard for me not to be. I found myself being a slightly grumpier driver and thinking, is that person going to let me out? Feeling like perceiving threats where there were none. And I had to make myself, you know, smile and sort of make sure I was letting people out and, and be less hostile. Uh, it was hard for me, you know, and, and the more tired we are and the more worn out we are, the harder that work is. And I think, and the, the reason that this relates to your writing, if we're going to get into this idea of you know, good mental health hygiene, is I think the first rule I want to talk about is just you being, it's so hard to do, but be kind to yourself. Because we've seen again and again in all the chats I've had with 
different psychologists and stuff that self-judgment correlates with doing less work with avoidance with procrastination and it will make you miserable all the writers I've talked to who've locked up, it's, they've had this self-judging voice saying, no, no, no. And sometimes that voice has been disguised by that. It morphs into the imagined voice of a critic, uh, you know, like an actual book critic, or it's a critical voice of a reader, or it's a critical voice of their agent or editor. And not being mean, just being disappointed, you know, that they, they have an, a, their agent or editor, their otherwise supportive agent or editor, they've let them down by not being good enough this time. You know, it, that's... The, the critical voice can sometimes be someone who is a very positive mental figure in your world, but then in your head, you model them as being let down, that you've let them down. It might be your mum or dad. It might be a sibling. It might be your partner, your hardworking, you know, husband or wife, or, you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend or partner or whoever. It might be someone in your life who is really lovely and works really hard and you're letting them down. You can sometimes feel a bit like a gambler who is trying to win it all back by writing. It feels like an indulgence. It feels like something. But your life is your life, you know. Your, you, we give away our sovereignty as human beings when we imagine people and then imagine them as being incredibly judgmental or disappointed or mean or just you know, sucking their teeth and being concerned and going, you know, we've got, you've got to remember you, you get this one life to be on the uh, earth as far as we, we understand. And what else were you going to do with it, you know, than do the things, to then, then take risks, then take chances. We don't get to take anything away with us at the end of this, right? You can't, Get your, you have your safely pensionable career, right? You have you build up loads of equity. You have your house, right? You've got all this security. You don't get to take it with you. So you might as well have a go at these things, at creating and expressing yourself if you want to, if you are able to make it something that you enjoy. They, they don't actually have to be something that ever make you any money. But the idea that you should feel guilty about, I hate this phrase self-indulgent. I hate this idea that we have this concept of self-indulgence as a bad thing in the world. Well, you are, I rarely, I don't think, I can't, I'm trying to think of someone I've met who indulges themselves too much. We have a problem, a terrible, chronic, enculturated problem with self-denial, with people who believe they're serving some higher purpose or in in the ser service of some story don't allow themselves to be and they get to their frigging deathbeds regretting these things you know i heard somebody talking who was an uh, sort of end of life counselor went into hospices places people who knew that they were dying and talked to them and the and she talked about the regrets of people and you're going to get to that point one way or the other. Maybe, you know, some of us will die without having any warning. Some of us will have lots of warning. But we are all going out one way or another. And no one's going to thank you for not spending that time writing in your notebook. 
No one's going to thank you for not trying. And no one's going to blame you. No one's going to be like going, oh, you tried to write a book. You twat. You're not going to like die and go to the afterlife and, and be met at the pearly gates by someone going, oh, I see you got halfway through a book. No, no one. I've never really encountered anyone who thinks less of someone for having a go at something, whether it got published or not. Like most people, I've got to tell you, respect that. So whatever judgmental voices you've got in your head, one, I need you to know if you are policing your own behaviour by being mean to yourself, by saying I should do more and being lazy. One, you need to know that the research shows that that makes you procrastinate more. So by all means, do it. You are, a, you know, you're a sovereign human being. You can make your own choices. But do not kid yourself that that is going to make likely to produce more work out of you continuing that. The idea that you're going to suddenly reach a kind of critical mass of self-hatred and suddenly the writing will come it's not going to come that way unless i mean i've never i've never yet encountered a writer who finally managed to complete a draft through just accrual of self-judgment and self-hatred it's not happened yet maybe they're out there but i've not encountered them yet and all the research suggests that the meaner you are to yourself, the more your brain will habitually avoid thinking about those th thoughts because they're unpleasant and the less work you'll do. So do it if you want, but don't pretend it's for the benefit of your novel because it's not. So if you can then ditch all that self-judgment, the situation isn't going to get any worse. It, it might not get any better. It might not get any better, but it's not going to get any worse and you won't be hating yourself. So you'll have a little bit more mental space. So that's one is like drop the be kind to yourself. Like, I know that for some of us that is the work of a lifetime. But I think you're valuable. I think by being a human being you have inherent worth. I think you're miraculous, you know, for, for what it's worth. Because you have never existed in the entire history of the cosmos and the universe. This infinitely massive space. You're the only one of you and you are living and recording and experiencing something that has never been experienced before by any human being and never will be again. And this, what we're experiencing now, this consciousness may be the only, may be the highest form of intelligence in the universe. As far as we know, it is. Of course there can be other things out there. Of course there could be different levels of perception. But as, our our best information at the moment and the best models we have suggest it might well be the only thing. And for you to squander that, going, God, I'm shit. You're like a living God, man. Like, you are. You are the closest thing, really. I know for some of you who are religious, this is like the, the little God's heresy is actually actual heresy and offensive and stuff so I, I if your religion is is different to this then that's fine but i still don't think your creator would particularly want you to sit in a room hating yourself for not writing as much as you think you should where did you get this idea that you should that you should be writing a certain amount each day where did you get this idea that you didn't have the right to do what you want that you spending a day not writing that you spending a day doing 
other than that, that you're spending a week, a month not writing. Where did you get the idea that that was somehow a moral failing? What a weird philosophy and paradigm to like append onto the act of making stories. What age do we get to when suddenly we make the failure or success at creating a story? When does it get a moral dimension? That's weird, isn't it? When does it get a sense of I am a good or bad person? Like people, I've hated myself for not writing. Hate is very strong. Really, I'm a bad person, I've thought. And I'm not alone in that. I'm a failure. I'm a bad person. Look at me. I can breathe. I can see. I can taste things. I can walk around. I can make choices. I can interact with people. I can phone somebody up. I can give somebody a compliment and and, and bring happiness to them. Those are incredible powers. Why then would I feel bad at not having added words to a story this week? And why do you? And and, and, and and do you hold on to some of that judgment in the belief that it is somehow integral to your writing more? And do you have the sense that it can't change? So one, be kind to yourself. Two, give yourself some easy wins. Give yourself some easy wins. Set a timer for three minutes and write on a subject. Give, set a timer for 10 minutes and just write in the voice of a character in your work in progress. It doesn't have to be something that's going to be used in the novel. Like, so the Ice House is, uh, when the Ice House came out, um, I wrote some, some of you may have copies of this, but I, I wrote some additional material um, that went to people who pre-ordered from Mr. B's Emporium. And I wrote that all in the form of found text that's like been downloaded from the internet and from like like the vintage internet as well as more modern internet um, pages as part of it, one of the characters in the story's research. I really enjoyed writing found text from like in the world, you know, like writing newspaper articles, writing like BBS forum articles from like super old, like... 90s internet writing like imaginary conversations in internet forums between characters none of it like is stuff that happens in the book but it's in the same world and I think you can just have real fun making yourself lists playing word games with yourself I had a really good fun this week on Twitter I mean it's such a stupid thing to do but I really enjoyed it with um friend of the show Nate Crowley had suggested that what if ASMR videos if those you haven't experienced ASMR videos it's a rabbit hole to go down on YouTube but um I think it's uh auto uh auto meridian subcon uh, uh auto sacral meridian response or oh god I can't even remember what ASMR stands for now so you're, some of you autosacral meridian response or something like that. Anyway, it's, it basically means videos where people whisper or tap and it gives people a tingle in their scalp. I get it. I get, I get tingly scalp from certain things. And I didn't know until a couple of years ago that not everyone got that. In fact, you'll see in the honours in the Ice House that Delphine occasionally responds to things by getting a tingly scalp. And I just thought that was a 
a human thing that everyone experiences. It's not. Um, anyway, he said, what if ASMR stood for um, a somewhat miserable repast and the videos were just people glumly working through subpar meals? And I ended up a little doing a little bit of being a reply guy and getting in on his idea. And we just bounced back and forth some things that ASMR could stand for. I, I suggest that the videos could actually, ASMR could stand for, alas, senior Mendoza regrets and all the videos that take the form of a butler apologising why his master, who is dead secretly, um, can't attend society functions, giving increasingly elaborate excuses. I really enjoyed the challenge of coming up with ideas of what ASMR could stand for. It's not, you know, it's not something that's going to... For some people, that's not creative writing. For me, those little wins, giving yourself a silly creative writing exercise where you sw take the first paragraph of a novel off your shelf and then write it, copy it down, and then change all the nouns, that's all the kind of like objects and concepts, for different words. In fact, a really fun one, I don't know if you've ever done it, is uh, N plus 7 where you take a piece of text from a book, could be a song even, uh, and then you replace all the nouns with, you need a, like a paper dictionary, you need a book dictionary, but you replace all the nouns with the nouns seven places along in the dictionary. I know the fact I said they're a really fun exercise. For some of you, that would not be fun. But for me, that uh, word geek, that is fun. And also, crucially, it doesn't. it's not something you can really mess up in terms of you can't really have flair at just replacing stuff using a formula, but you can have really good fun uh, ripping sentences apart and tweaking bits and playing kind of like mad libs with other people's work. And it's those kind of exercises, silly ones, or, you know, working through a series of exercises like my free course, but there's also loads of free creative writing exercises and prompts on the internet. Doing that, giving yourself some easy wins, working on an exercise that takes you three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, rather than going, oh, once I've got past this thing, I'm really going to... Because this is what often happens, is people don't write for a while, and then they start making themselves mental promises that tomorrow, or next week, or next month, they're going to like do this huge session that's going to kind of like compensate. They start acting as if they've accrued a debt that they need to compensate for, and I'm here to say that just makes the problem worse because you start feeling like you're going to suddenly have to do this thing where you forego all pleasure to write sort of like wall to wall for a week and it's going to be it's going to get harder and this is why people go I'm not writing I'm not writing oh here comes NaNoWriMo this is I'm going to do this huge crash of writing and um, they make themselves knackered and they never want to write again after it because it's not easy not writing loads after the idea that you're going to write loads after not writing anything why wouldn't you start with three minutes because it doesn't feel like you're making any headway because you can do that intransitive pre preference structure where you go well is three minutes going to change the world if i do it now or should i do it tomorrow well, i'll just leave it to tomorrow three minutes isn't going to make any difference one way or the other i'm here to tell you three minutes can make all the difference it can be the absolute difference maker it can change your conception of you as a writer. Three minutes of writing. I mean setting the alarm. You should have programmed into your phone's 
you know, get download a free app that's like meditation timer or timer if you if you can't set your phone to to do this. But you should have like saved on your phone a three minute timer, a five minute timer, a ten minute timer, and so that the moment that you get a tiny gap, instead of playing a, you know, delete the game apps on your phone. I'm terrible for being addicted to these little dopamine hits. Delete them. Allow yourself at worst to be bored and have some empty space, which would do you so much good for your mental health and writing, to have time for your mind to wander. But if you must do something on your phone, set a timer for 10 minutes and, and write nonsense for that 10 minutes. If you can do that once a day, when you would be on an app or scrolling through Instagram, I tell you, that's all you need. It will change your life. Like, the difference is going to be radical. That 10 minutes a day is going to massively change your sense of yourself. And you won't even notice it in terms of your schedule. You know, you write on the back of a receipt. I really, really recommend having increasingly crappy notebooks. Just get used to writing on stuff that you're going to lose on, on, on receipts, on old scraps of paper, on the back of a takeaway menu. Write stuff everywhere so you look a little, a little bit like an evil genius or someone who is even more mentally ill than me, right? You should have notes everywhere. It's fun. And it will stop you... It, it just it just it doesn't even your inner critic isn't someone who you need to suplex through the spanish-speaking commentators table it, it, your your inner critic is like the hard vegetables that you place into some gently bubbling water and they soften and bubble down into a soup you you simply need to warm them and soften them and they've got stuff to give you and contribute. You just need to give them. You just need to hold them in this in this warmth that that allows their flavors to seep out. Now, so be kind to yourself. Give yourself some easy wins. So I've said those. And like I say, download an app. Download a a meditation app that the way you can set three minutes and then a little gong sounds or something. You will it will make the difference for you. You can write in the in the Word app on your phone or in the Notes app on your phone if you have to. That's fine. But you just it doesn't have to be the same time every day. You don't have to be holding yourself to a thing. Although you can put reminders in your phone uh, for a certain time and then just do five minutes. Do three minutes do 60 seconds if that's all you can do i'm telling you it will change your life and i've seen it change people's lives this is the thing is i I, just, I know it can it's changed my life i know it can for you and it doesn't have to be something arduous and this doesn't have to be something you fail at because if you miss a day you miss a week you miss a month you miss a year you miss 10 years that doesn't matter so much as the moment where you choose to re-engage and the benefits aren't going to cost you anything and they're here for you to take. I know if you're not in a place where your writing's been going well, then to hear this can be painful because you say, Tim, but you don't know me. You don't know how crap I am. I do, and I'm 10 times worse. And you know what? I'm valuable and I'm worthwhile and I believe in myself and I believe in you too. If I can do it, you can 
do it, you can get value out of this. I'm not saying that you're going to necessarily write a novel that's going to become a bestseller, although you might. That, but that is by the by. I'm saying that you can start getting value out of it as soon as this week. You can start feeling better about yourself as soon as this week. Not in some distant future, not when X number of gatekeepers approve, not because, you know, the stars align or whatever. You can start doing it. It can be valuable to you in in and of itself. Three, um, if you can manage it, go deep. Like, I think it's worth writing some stuff that's either like in diary format or writing about some stuff that's been difficult in your life, writing about some feelings, writing about some inadequacies, writing about some vulnerabilities, writing about some trauma, if you can. Now, I'm not saying you should do this um, without having support around you. I'm not saying you should do this if you suffer from PTSD and going back to some of those places may be, uh, may re-traumatise you. I'm not saying you should do this if you don't have support, if you don't have um particularly with some things you know like maybe you know something that you can talk through with your therapist or something like that or someone close to you um but if you feel able to if you feel that you can exploring past traumas past difficulties even things which at the time are traumatic or upsetting but now maybe you know like a time as a child where you know you got lost in a supermarket and you thought you'd lost your parents or you didn't get invited to someone's birthday party those things can resonate without necessarily being what we would think of as like huge traumas but they can be important you know being told off being wrongly accused of something as a child being told off told that you were lying when you weren't or doing something and having felt guilty about it afterwards these things that might have been big stakes then but now we would think of as a normal part of growing up I think often we dismiss these things and these are places that you can go to even if you're writing like me I write like big fantasy I'm writing a story about like a bunch of goblins who live in a tower at the top of a floating city who do heists that isn't like me it's not me consciously engaging with the traumas of my childhood but I think it's important that I also write a bit of autobiography write a few things where I go back to some of those emotional places and you can write about good stuff as well but as you know as you know per my talk with James W Pennebaker the social psychologist doing some of this work where you do expressive writing linking feelings and specifics from the scene and your feelings then and your feelings now and going into detail um, with difficult memories has significant and sustained benefits for your mental and physical well-being and on a purely mercenary side it's good for your writing for you to start going to those places that fuck like good writing should cost you something you know it should cost you something i want you and i i think you're strong enough to to pay that you know i think you can go there i'm not suggesting anybody push themselves further than they are feel ready to I don't want you I think that would be grossly irresponsible for me to say you need to go back and deal with this thing that you haven't dealt with before that you do not feel safe or ready to do I'm not suggesting that because 
I'm just not qualified to do that. All I can say is I know when I've done that myself, but it's always been, you know, my choice. Uh, when I've done that myself, and James W. Pennebaker's uh, uh, original experiments, by the way, were four 15-minute sessions over four days. But, and you know, people broke down crying during them. They were genuinely traumatic recountings. And people wrote these things down. But what I'm saying is writing about trauma, even writing about trauma through the lens of fiction, even writing about fictionalised traumas, I think they become autobiographical. And when I chatted to Scroobius Pip on his show, he pointed out that like often, even if you're trying to write a fictional trauma, actually that you will end up putting something of yourself. You will draw even unconsciously on your own experiences and some element of something from your past will probably be filtered through that and and thus purged in a way. But what I'm saying is when you allow yourself to go to these places, you can build real emotional and genuinely physical strength as well. It's been shown to you know, boost your immune system and things like that. And these are like average, these are significant, the change is significant over an average sample size so some people may experience more than others some people may experience less or none uh, and statistical significance is not the same as necessarily huge changes that's my scientific disclaimer out of the way just because I don't ever want to be uh, rightly accused of being of peddling bullshit pseudoscience I've always got stuff to learn but what I'm saying is when you start doing this, I think, one, it just like gives a bit more wallop to your stories. That's the kind of mercenary side of it. But two, I think it can it will really, really help you. And I think your writing should be doing work for you. It's all right for you to demand that, but it's going to cost you something. And I'm, you, when you are able to make those journeys and go down there, you can come back with the with the demon's teeth clutched in your hands and you can you can gain real value from these journeys whether you are writing you know funny uh you know madcap comedy or military sci-fi or whatever i think there is value in doing the autobiograph autobiographical like little exercises i think it's good to cross train as a writer and it's really good for your mental health as long as you are able to reach out for support and be in the right place, I think it can do a lot for you. So that's three we've got now. Be kind to yourself. Um, give yourself some easy wins. Go deep. Four on the kind of mental health hygiene thing is, I'd say, and I've said this on the show before, but really try and give you the, the, the best thing you can do with 15 minutes every day or even five minutes is, is, is meditate. I, I never regret meditating. Uh, it's been shown to shrink amygdala volume, which is the part of your brain that seeks out threat and fires up the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight or freeze response. Um, it can also help the more you meditate, helps you come up with ideas, helps the switch between the default and focus modes in the brain. D default mode network is when you're just kind of like in wandering mind, focus is when you're paying attention to something. Uh, research suggests that we're happier when we're in the focused mode, when we're like concentrating on something. That would be like the flow state of when you're writing, but it's important to be able to stay happily in the 
default mode network as well because that's when the mind's wandering and that's when we accidentally make connections between different ideas but i'd really say to you again if you can get like download a meditation app watch maybe a guided meditation or something if you've never done like vipassana meditation is what i'd recommend for most people and just do 10 15 minutes a day and note it down on your calendar if you can get yourself a wall calendar and note, mark down every day you do it so you can see how many days you've actually done versus how many you imagine you've done and again it meditation is vulnerable from that intransitive preference structure business where you can imagine is it going to make a difference whether i do it today Try and do with them as early as you can in the day because as you get closer to bed, you can start saying to yourself, well, I don't need... To... It's better for me to get an early night. It is always, always, always worth meditating, even if you just have to do three minutes, little mini three-minute meditate. It, it, it's just really good for you and it's made such a difference to my panic attacks. It takes a while to build up. They show like over eight weeks, it starts to actually change the structure of the brain. Same with writing, by the way. You know, Martin Lotzer, who I had on the show, the... Uh, neuroscientist showed how writing regularly changes the parts of brain the brain that are activated changes the fucking hemisphere that is activated when someone's writing changes the like switches from like your right brain from like the visual cortex to this left hemisphere to do with like language and then there's a load of downstreaming into into um the basal ganglia like all these automated parts like you are restructuring your brain when you do these things but like do meditate is so good for you know there's studies that suggest when i was reading richard wiseman's book on luck professor richard wiseman i, I there's a previous episode where i chat to him but his book on luck suggests that people who meditate um it improves their intuition so their ability to make apparently subconscious hunches and guesses about a thing um, improves when they uh, when you meditate which is basically another way of saying not that they gain psychic powers but they gain an ability to use their experience say in you know uh, mm, aviation mechanics or something like that allows them to sp uh, spot a problem based on a hunch because of years of experience and I think the same is true the more you meditate um, the same is true of writing. You will just be walking along and you'll suddenly have a hunch about how to solve a plot problem. You'll be writing a voice and you'll suddenly just have a hunch for the right word. The more you meditate, the easier that comes. I, 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 I just encourage you to go away and even if you think, yeah, I know I should meditate more. The way to get yourself starting to meditate is read the research and read all of the, as much research as you can because at some point, They'll just be part of you that goes. It would. They'll just be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Where you go, fuck it. Like this is. There is no reason not to be doing this. There's no reason not to be doing this. It's. Um, I know people talk about it as being a kind of fad, but there's mindfulness fad, and I, I do think that there's some sort of. I don't ever. What I, I realize that there's some skepticism on the, especially on the progressive left, the idea that. The onus is on people to become mindful to deal with the stresses of life rather than us create an equitable society where people don't experience those stresses. But stresses will always exist. And I say until such time, I do not think that mindfulness actually makes you more likely, makes you less likely to rebel against the 
inequities of the state, right? I, don't, I actually think it gives you more energy to... Um, I don't think it makes you a passive drone. I think actually it allows you to um, make uh, have greater autonomy and make better decisions. So I really recommend meditating. I, I can only... I just feel like I want to bang on about it until eventually every listener of the show sends me an email going, all right, Tim, you don't have to talk about meditating anymore. I can, I've conceded... I, I, I'm, I'm doing it, so shut up about it. I'm happy to, to do that because it's that important. I'm not, you know, I know occasionally someone will say, well, I get panic attacks when I meditate. I, I don't want to try and make you make it sound like I'm trying to make you feel guilty or like you're a bad person if you don't. There may be some different ways in for people if you get panic attacks doing meditation it may be that there's some like like yoga or something similar like that that you could do instead um mobility dependent but some kind of mindfulness practice you know it's been shown to have a huge effect on your stress and your ability to intuit and just all sorts of stuff that means turning up to that blank page you're going to have a better awareness of when you're being self-critical and you'll recognize it for what it is and you, you'll hear that thought, that voice, and it'll be a thought and a voice. Nothing more. And that's a really good place to get to. So be kind to yourself. Uh, give yourself some easy wins. Go deep. Meditate. And then the final one I want to say, and I think this is as important as the the others, but... Um, Just seek out your community. Find other writers. If you listen to this show, you know, I can do a thread on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever, but, you know, use that hashtag. Uh, use the hashtag. Uh, it's hashtag D... I think it's hashtag D-O-1-K-C. Death of a thousand cuts. D-O-1-K-C. Hashtag D-O-1-K-C on Facebook or Instagram or on Twitter. But, you know, reply to one of my posts and meet other people who listen to this show and start doing some critique swaps, you know? Or just... I've, so many, it, it, it absolutely warms my heart to see people who listen to this show... Uh, interacting with one another and being really supportive of one another. I just like, it, I just feel so proud that like this warm community is sort of growing up around what we're doing together, you know, and that you're all really lovely to each other because there are loads of people who listen to the show who are just like you at different stages in their writing and you can essentially unionize right you folks can support one another give each other feedback and encouragement and that that can you know you can it can be a force multiplier finding other people um to support you and for you to support because your efforts to support them can be just important. I, I learned so much from, you know, editing other people's work 
that I could then take back to my own. But from a mental health perspective, like writing can be incredibly lonely. If you don't have people around you that you share the fact that you write with, so many people don't talk about the fact that they write. And maybe it's anecdotally, but I feel like I know or I've encountered more women who do so than men who do so kind of in secret for a while, who maybe don't even tell their friends that they write. I d- maybe that's just been me, but I, I don't really know what's going on there except to say, like, you don't have to be like walking into work like sit down at your desk stretch theatrically and go oh hi guys sorry a bit tired been writing a novel all night anyway any questions about me being a writer like I'm not saying like no one wants to be like a a show-off about it but again that kind of stereotype it comes from a place of self-judgment right it's like I don't want to come on as I'm being pretentious what's pretentious about saying you do writing oh well I don't It's probably a bit crap. I don't really want to show anyone. Well, you know, it might not be perfect, but you're doing your best. Why can't you... Why can't you be proud of yourself? Like, I think what you're doing is amazing for what it's worth. You know, like, you're turning... You're doing something with no, like, immediate reward out of interest and you're pursuing something that isn't easy. I think that's incredibly... You know, that that reflects incredibly well on you and it's salutary. It doesn't make you better than other people, but it's certainly something that you're allowed to talk about and take pleasure and pride in. And I think finding a community where you can sort of normalise some of those things. And look, there can be uh, unhealthy things that go on in writers' uh, groups and writers' forums. I've certainly experienced them myself uh, certain personalities can turn up people who have their own issues and um, people who maybe have their own unhappinesses or disappointments that they project onto the group. Uh, There can be some hierarchies that appear in those groups uh, that aren't very healthy. Um, There can be a kind of big fish in a small pond syndrome where someone has, you know, like won a poetry competition maybe and then they feel, you know, that they are therefore senior in the, in the in the writing group and can be sort of like very, or maybe some people don't take criticism very well. All those kind of things can happen, of course. But um, I think it's important that you find your people, you know, and that you feel welcome. And I just want to extend that kind of like welcome to you. Um, if one, if people, you know, listening to the show want to kind of get in touch with each other then you know tell me how I can do that and I'd love to facilitate that a sort of way that you folks can find one another to just talk about writing and support one another and just give each other little pick-me-ups and and say hey how's it going um maybe set each other targets or swap 500 words of your work with someone else and give feedback uh whatever I I you know so many people say they're really scared to share their work well you don't to have these relationships you don't need even to share work you can just be like I'm writing are you writing cool I know that you're not alone in that and I just you know I just I think it's so important to find your people I think it can you know I speak to genre writers and I read genre writers talking about going to conventions you know they're 
science fiction and fantasy conventions and things like this and meeting other people who like the same things they do and coming back like invigorated and going oh, I get why I do this now I rem- rem- I'm remember it reminds them and it peps them up and I just want to say to you you can do that as well and I just want to finish therefore with like actually just a little bit of a you know pepping you up a little bit a little bit of a pep talk I realize when I phrase it as a pep talk then it sounds like it's going to be false or in some way overblown or insincere I don't mean any of that at all but I think it's important you you probably when was the last time someone told you that what you're doing is important and great not very often right even I don't I don't hear that and I'm a professional writer I don't hear it very often occasionally get some nice feedback but not very often and if you haven't had a book published the answer might be rarely or never uh like what you're doing is really important and it is not really important in this sense of like something of great import that you can you can succeed or fail at that is momentous in the sense of you have a huge responsibility that you can fuck up I mean what you're doing is of great value and because it is work about trying to find out what it means to be human it's work about entertaining other your fellow human beings it's work about just like exploring thought and ideas and characters and people and emotions and it is you doing work on your own heart as well and your own mind and 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 so few people reflect on what it means to be alive in the short space of time we have we're so caught up in politics and interpersonal things and career and oh, I'm ill this week and getting through the day that it's very rare that we get to sit back and go what's going on what's going on and so for you to turn up and play with language you know write your list of interesting shop names or your list of sentences overheard on the bus or whatever for you to just plow into the depths of your mind and write 10 minutes just stream of consciousness on whatever comes out that is you're contributing to the human project in in a really vital way that makes you more awake and i think that that is important now like i say i think you're writing it it there there should be elements of this i think it's fine for it to sometimes you you're going to go through different emotions and when you turn up if it's difficult that doesn't mean you're a shit writer that means that you are taking this seriously right you're turning up and maybe you feel a bit scared great maybe you feel a bit uh flat fine writing good writing should cost you something you should be stepping up there and going oh, i feel this and i'm going to go anyway so often as adults we do not do something that is difficult for us we don't push ourselves in relationships we don't push ourselves career wise we don't try new things we just go to the things that we've had time to build up and become experts at we don't go to new places we just go to the places that we've built a familiarity with we don't make new friends we just hang out with the friends that we've known for ages and, and it's so rare for adults to put them themselves in a position where they allow themselves to be vulnerable where they allow themselves to be non-experts where they allow themselves to be beginners learning something when they allow themselves to be humbled when they allow themselves to experience the humility of trying something new of not being perfect at something of being uh, an amateur saying look i'm prepared to do something i'm not the best at I'm not the best at this, but I'm going to turn up and do it. Any- I'm going to have a go. I'm going to work on, I'm going to give myself the gift of spending time on something that I'm not perfect at, that I've still got places to go and things to learn because that's what's worth your time, by the way. What's worth your time is going and giving yourself to projects that you have got room to grow in. 
Like, I'm not going to get any better at making a peanut butter and jam sandwich. I do it every day. I've been doing it for fucking years. I enjoy them. I don't feel any stress when I go and sit down and make myself a peanut butter and, and jam sandwich. I enjoy the result, right? But it is not a, it is not a project of growth. Because there's no flair play in that. Some of you are going to come in, suggest your sort of ideas for incredibly elaborate peanut butter and jam sandwiches. I appreciate it. If you're an American, then of course I mean peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, and I dare say maybe I could, you know, push the boat out a little bit on it because I always have raspberry jam with peanut butter on kind of like a brownish bread. Um, there are other ways. Grape jelly perhaps would be my next uh, march into the unknown. But if you are finding it difficult, then you are growing. Then you're you're making new neural pathways and you are laying down those myelin sheaths. I never know whether it's, I can never remember whether it's myelin or myelin, but you're laying down those new cortical pathways, right? You are increasing the volume of those areas of the brain that deal with creativity, that deal with language, that you are making connections. You are growing and you are changing and it's not easy and that's why it's valuable and I just believe in you if you turn up at that desk and you and spend just five minutes after you listen to this fucking stacking it jumping ahead to the end of your book and writing the last page and just making a fucking hash of it I guarantee you that there will be something in that explosive mess that will make you feel bigger you will grow there is nothing my friends, to be afraid of. There are people who said that you get to dodge this. Who said that you got? Who said that you were allowed this to be easy? Why should you find it easy? Maybe you're a writer not because you know it just comes to you naturally and flows out of you. Maybe you know your path to writing is it doesn't come to you easily because every step on this path as a writer is going to be a it's a path of growth for you because this isn't just some like thing that you can fart out in an afternoon because for you you need to write this thing that you're writing at the moment because it's hard and because it's going to change you do you understand that it is difficult for you right now because it is there is things that are blocking you that you need to change and you can work on that five minutes two minutes one minute a day and you can do it with love you can do it for yourself, but don't mistake something being easy with something being worthwhile. It's going to be hard sometimes, but it's hard like marching to the top of that mountain and diving into the clear blue lake at the top. It's going to grow you. It's going to build muscles. It's going to do these micro abrasions and your muscles are going to build up, but they're going to be mental muscles and they're going to be muscles of the heart. They're going to be emotional muscles and you are your comfort zone is going to expand until one day it encompasses the entire world. I promise you, keep going. You can be, you can do it small chunks, big chunks, but keep going and the rewards are going to be there for you. My dear, dear friend, I'm done here. I love you so much. I know just little taps here and there and it's going to come for you okay okay now can you go and give me five minutes can you give me three minutes two minutes just start making this change and let me know what happens okay have a lovely lovely few days of writing